Welcome, gentlemen. New year, new shows. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's always nice that uh, I do get a lot of messages about TNT and about these conversations. Beautiful. It's nice that uh, people are listening to these specific shows because they're not directly related to construction, but they are directly related to construction. We know how much mental health is in construction regarding the person, mm-hmm. not necessarily the industry. Uh, and we've discussed it and we'll continue to discuss it. Uh, but I do want to continue doing these shows because I think they're very valuable shows. I get messages and I think it's the one subject matter that the trades person is very quiet about mm-hmm. for good reason. Um, so I think it's important that we continue. So I just want to welcome Jonathan back and Angelo back. And you look back, everybody's back. Thank you. Thanks. Great. Good to we'll be keep on here, growing. Man. And anybody else that wants to join this little circle and, We'll keep on adding. We'll just keep on adding more people to the conversation and just have uh, these very important, valuable conversations. So you guys wanted to start the show with uh, a few more interesting points and talking points mm-hmm. and some things that happened, I guess, since the last time we talked, which is about six weeks ago. I think, yeah, just to piggyback on how you kind of opened up, there was right now, and we were kind of chatting about it before, but we're really in kind of the awareness phase, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, to use an old cliche. But now everybody's kind of acknowledging that there are issues because everybody's human and everybody deals with stuff. Uh, but I think we're at an interesting point because not a lot of people know what to do with the information, right? Because we don't have the tools, we don't have the training, and maybe not necessarily the capabilities to, to deal with these things. So I think we'll touch on a little bit about that today too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I have some numbers here if you guys want to start with that just to kind of put it in perspective. So... There's some stuff just globally. So this was pulled off the KMH website. So KMH is Center for Addiction and Mental Health, uh, based in Toronto. But basically, so this is just within Canada. But each each day, 12 people die by suicide in Canada, every day. Men or women or both? or Both. Across the board. 12 people, every single day. Yeah, 75% of which are typically men. 72, actually, trending. Okay. So another interesting... Is that an increase from last year? Or is that that's last year's stats? Yes. No, it's an increase. It's an increase. Mm. So specific to substance abuse, 20 people overdose in Canada every day. Die of overdose. Okay. Specific to mental health, in any given year, one in five Canadians will experience a mental health. Half a million Canadians miss work each week due to mental illness. Half a million. Half a million. And this is across all all. Uh, 1.3% of the population. Okay. Uh, and maybe one last one, so we're not just sitting rhyming off numbers here. The current cost to support people with mental health illnesses in Canada annually is $51 billion. So to try and put that, because there's nothing specific to construction, if you look at gross domestic product, so construction is 7.4% of Canada's GDP. Yeah. So rough numbers plus minus 7.4% of $51 billion. I did the quick math already. It's $3.8 billion dollars if we can use that as a metric. So there's big money here. And what we talked about initially too was one of the issues with mental health, mental illness is it's not tangible. It's not something you can see. If you break a leg, you got a cast. If you throw your shoulder out, you got a sling. You know, and it's physical stuff you can see, touch and feel. But mental illness, I think that's one of the things. So putting a label on it, hearing these numbers, to me it was like very shocking to hear these. But it really puts it in perspective. A few more. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just because I, I really want to be able to anchor all of this. And, and for those of you listening at home uh, or in your vehicle, uh, just to ensure that you, you grasp the severity of things. The $51 billion 
that Angelo shared with us, that mental illness, uh, the economic burden that mental illness has uh, on Canada every year is trending to become $2.5 trillion by the year 2041. 30% of disability claims in Canada are due to mental illness. 70% of all disability costs are due to mental illness. So although 30% of the claims are due to mental illness, they take up 70% of the costs of, of disability claims. So just one more thing too on KMH because uh, it's worth plugging that. So yep. CMA, CAMH.ca, uh, check it out. You can donate whatever you can helps. They came up late list last year with the suicide crisis hotline. So 988, dial 988, 24-7. They'll put you in touch with a trained responder. Text. Who, or you can text to. 24 hours a day. And uh, they have trained people there if you're in a crisis, if you're thinking about taking your life or um, just not doing well. 988. Oh, sorry, 988. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And, uh, and yeah, I think these conversations are great, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's action. What do we do with these conversations? What do we do with the information? That's what I'm excited to see. It's huge. It's big money. Mm-hmm. Like, thanks for, for, for identifying that too, right? Because our brains process data. Yeah. And, and now that the data is out there, let's just chew on that for a moment and take that in. I mean, we're construction professionals and we measure everything. Mm-hmm. So data is instrumental. Huge. Plus, when you picture, and the numbers can be kind of deceiving because you look at a number of percentage, it's like, okay. But when you look at, you know, overall in Canada, there's like 1.86 million people employed in construction. Yeah. So when you're looking at a percentage of that, say 50% of experienced mental health issues, like that's 900,000 people. Like picture a crowd of 900,000 people. It's it's incredible. So and what's what's being done today? Like I know that well, off mic we were talking about yeah. organizations, right? Mm-hmm. And CAMH is one, WSIB is another, and mm-hmm. all kinds of organizations. And it's not until, I don't follow media anymore because I've gotten sick and tired of mm-hmm. listening to media. Um, I try to be a good Canadian Portuguese citizen where I can find my own news and make my own judgment on what I want to determine what is truth or not, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not until something drastic happens that it becomes a media soundbite. Mm-hmm. So not until we start seeing tradespeople jump off of these skyscrapers that are being built, all these buildings, that is going to make it a, a major soundbite. Because if you're telling me these numbers are these, this is the case, that there's a good chance that across Canada on some sort of job site, some tradesperson, most likely a man, is taking their life mm-hmm. on and off the job site. Just, just to, because I, I want to mention the the female side of things. Although 72%, and this was this past year, 72% of suicides were men, it's important to note that women attempt suicide three to four times more often. Than men. So just because, Based on their thank God, that they, that, that, they, that they didn't succeed, it doesn't mean that we should turn a blind no, eye to women no, who are not. attempting it three to four times more often than men. Do they have any information regarding is that is that because of their personal situation or is there a professional situation? The data won't share. Uh, okay. it, well, it doesn't mention. But don't we know <coughs> that for, for, for the side of the men, it's mostly work-related or personal-related? I think it's a combination of everything. And this came up in our last discussion, so I kind of did, did a little bit of my own research too. Like when you look at how just the dynamics of relationships in society has changed. So there was a study, so back in 1975, it found that 30, what was it, 36% of families were dual income. Okay, yeah. So predominantly, the man would go to work, the, wo- the woman would stay home, raise the kids, take care of the house, whatever. So in 2015, that almost doubled, it's at 69%. And I would hazard a guess now it's higher. Because both parents are working. Maybe it's a function of 
cost of living increase, I don't know, cost, whatever. But women have ambitions to do work too. I know I feel it. My family's double income and we're always struggling with, I know you have kids too. You're always logistics. Who's going to pick up the kids? The world is set up for one parent to stay home and take care of the kids. Schooling is a perfect example. Yeah. School starts at nine o'clock, finishes at 3.30. How the hell do you do that? So getting back to your point, Construction, the world has kind of changed and evolved. Construction hasn't really, especially if you're a tradesperson, you get paid hourly. How are you expected to take on the additional demand for home and kids, which is an expectation these days? It's a big challenge, and that creates a whole bunch of uh, friction, I think. So I'm not saying that's the whole problem, but definitely but contributes that to That leads, right, that, that starts the, the, the thoughts marinating in our brain. We're talking about data and numbers here that are actually communicated and solidified. There's a boatload of information there that hasn't yet made it there. Because mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of folks out there who, you know, we all struggle with shit. Whether you classify that as mental health or not, I do. Because mm-hmm. we're all dealing with something, right? But the data there, you know, we, if we get grinded with it, like what does it actually mean? That's reported cases. How many are unreported? Right. How many people are struggling with, Holy smokes, how, I, how do I pick up the children today? That's what's my scary. Wife's, my wife's working or my husband's working. And like, this is the stuff we've all experienced. It. This is where I thank you guys because this amplifies and, and, and pulls on all our, all our heartstrings. So we've all lived it. Unfortunately, there are deaths on site that occur that do not need to occur. And what's even worse is they get, and this is going to set off triggers, dismissed more times than not. Okay, mm-hmm. shut the site down, call the ministry, do their investigation. Site's back open 24 hours, 48 hours later. And a data that I can share with regards to that is 50% of management don't know how to deal with mental health. Don't illness. know how to deal with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I, I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, yeah. you, start, you start taking account of all of this and you put it in this fictitious bowl and you start looking down and it's overwhelming. Yeah, but you know what uh, starts with well, me? It's, this answer, you simply check in with somebody. You used the word earlier. There's a big word. Here it is, folks. Curious. The, the, the problem with checking in is that I still am afraid that the stigma attached to tradespeople is still there, that they won't check in just because of the, the perception of what a tradesperson is supposed to be. As you said, yeah. Angelo, like earlier, it's just like we haven't really evolved. Mm-hmm. Being a tradesperson is still a masculine-driven mentality. Mm-hmm. And I can't show that I'm weak. I'm interested in opening up my feelings. And I can't answer the question of how you doing other than answering it by saying I'm okay or fine. I want to bring up another point here is that and this is, uh, you know, I could upset certain people because this was America was really famous for this during the war. Um, How many of these people you're saying a workforce of 1.8 million tradespeople across Canada that are Hmm. working? How many undocumented? Right. Oh, workers. Yeah. Yeah. are also going through mental health and suicides and drug addiction, yeah. all kinds of shit like that. You know, like we recently had someone on the show, two-year immigrant, moved from India here, started his first job, $9 cash an hour, two years ago, mm-hmm. for another Indian pizza owner business. Mm-hmm. He survived and built up, but how many undocumented workers are going through shit that... Great question. So yeah. we don't know if that, you know, that percentage, those numbers... Mm-hmm. What's, what's going on there? We what's just the assume that they're harder workers, that they're yeah. just handling it, they're dealing with it. But that's not the case. That can't be the case. No. They're a well, human being. Well, that's the thing. With mental health, it sees no uh, boundaries, right? Like, you see people on Instagram, or you see rich people, famous people, poor. Like, everybody's prone to mental health issues. 
I think certain demographics, you're, you're more exposed to more risk factors. If you're lower income and you're working a shitty job, chances are you're more at risk for mental health issues. But it, it hits everybody. Like, it doesn't discriminate. And uh, getting back to just some numbers here and what you were saying, you alluded to it and you alluded to it as well, Jonathan. One study, it was on the KMH website. So 75% of working Canadians are reluctant or would not admit to a boss or coworker that they're experiencing mental health issues. I believe it. Three out of four people. Yeah. And so, again, you brought up the question, something I wrote down here is be interesting to spend a few minutes on or barriers to seeking help. Like what, because I know I've been there. Even now, the company I work at now, very progressive, Alistair before, very progressive. But still, there was something in the back of my mind when I went to my boss and said, I've got to leave early tomorrow because, you know, my kid's got an assembly. I was thinking like, he's going to think I'm, I'm weak or something. Like, I don't know. I couldn't help it. I'm just being totally honest with you. 100%. Here's the word that shows up for the two words that show up for me, and we toxic masculinity, right? Mm. There's the preconceptions and the, and the presuppositions we carry forward, and you know, I, I carry forward what I carry forward from my family dynamics and the environments around me of how I was brought up of as far as what's acceptable to talk about in my mind versus what's not. Now, we have self awareness and we're breaking those barriers, and that takes a lot of work and courage and vulnerability. That more times than not, isn't yet showing up hmm. in areas. For those guys that say, I can't, I, I can't go say that I need to go um, you know, watch my children's assembly. Hmm. How much of that from the supervisor perspective is an abuse of mental health? Because as you know that someone can abuse that, saying I need the mental health break, I need the time off, I need all this stuff, which is maybe they're not actually going through something. And it's yeah. just human nature to be abusive. I think to John Lucas' point, that's where management and people in supervisory capacities need to have training in dealing with mental health issues. So they can A, recognize when somebody's in a crisis or having a difficult time, knows the questions to ask, and B, know when somebody might be trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And I hate saying that, but wherever there's a system, people will abuse it. Yeah, right? right, of course. So being trained in the awareness, how to recognize what, how people react, like, I think that would help in that regard, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to look for it. I do have an answer as it relates to, to uh, the, the claims. But yeah. Not claims, but, you know, if they're taking advantage of it. I skimmed through the, not skimmed, I, I dug through WSIB's website. There is some data as it relates to claims. It's not that high. It's in the 2000s. It's not even 3,000 claims as it relates to, to mental health. So in a grand scheme of things, if you're looking at WSIB, it's Ontario. So if it's less than 3,000 claims for mental health, I don't feel that that's a big deal. Um, and to piggyback on what Jonathan shared, imagine I'm, I'm trying to, to approach this with curiosity as if, if men have a difficulty uh, embracing their vulnerability, are we putting additional pressure on any woman that's in the industry to suck it in and, and, uh, and bottle it up and 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 suppress it themselves. Can't we typically just they ask the men to think about your your parents. Like I'm I'm thinking about my dad. Like you think about a different generation. And I bring I bring this up because generally this happens over the holidays. You you have a lot of loss of life. You get a lot of elderly people that are going through certain things, and all of a sudden losses of life are there's more of a spotlight over the holiday break because of the milestones right that sure. are happening. But you look back at that those older generation of tradespeople, they didn't open up. And maybe it's not a question of asking tradespeople of today to ask them to open up. 
but to somehow recognize a way of getting them to open up. Mm-hmm. Whether it be that, you know, like if you were hanging out with your dad and, and he was going through something or you're going through something, neither would ever say, are you going through something? Tell me about it. But yet you had a nonverbal, possibly a look, a glance that hinted at something was going on mm-hmm. and maybe a handshake or maybe just a, a bump. And it was like, I'm here for you without saying a word. Maybe mm-hmm. it's about educating the tradespeople today, a different way of asking them to open up without actually opening it up. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. If and that's going to resonate better for them. I think uh, you mentioned the word before too, just being more curious, just being more in tune with people. And we mentioned last time when we were on the show, it's like, how do you recognize or how do you know if somebody's having a hard time? Because if you just ask them, how are you doing today or how's it going? They're going to say fine. Yeah. And that's okay. it. And you can tell by the way they answer sometimes if you're actually paying attention. And most times when you do it, you don't even pay attention. Like, hey, Jonathan, how's it going? And then you're on to the next thing, email. And you don't even really wait. But if you wait for the reply and read like nonverbal, read their body language, you might be able to pick up that something is off. But even if that's the case and you're like, you sense something and your spidey sense is tingling, I think most people don't know what to do in that situation. They don't know how to ask leading questions to, to bring that out in a person. And a lot of times people, once, in my, and sorry, John, yeah, in, yeah. in my experience, once you start to recognize that and hold space and give people an opportunity, they'll talk, they'll open up to you. Like people want to tell you what's going on. I don't think it's, once they, but they have to know you're a safe space to do it. Sorry, go ahead. Can I share something? Like on my hands up, because I'm like, and this is so, super exciting. Because you, you both pulled on, you touched them. I just, I, I had the opportunity to spend the last 10 days in Florida with my parents, right? In context. My dad's 70 years old, nearly 70, 69 or 70 years old. Um, and again, growing up, Italian descent, construction, never, ever spoke of how he felt, nope. right? Never, very free, infrequently said, uh, cared about, it was always like, be a man, suck it up, keep going. And I'll tell you this, even today, and he's, he's shifted over the decades, even today, we know as a family when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like we know when he's struggling with something. We know, what, so what, here's an example. What does he do when, when something's going on? Does what many other men do, stay busy. I gotta go work on this project, go do this, go do this, go do this. <laughs> and you, the word curiosity is like, so I can only share what's, what, what's, what I've learned over the last little while and say like, okay, so what's your, what's your thought on this, right? Or acknowledgement. Yeah, I, I saw you go through that the other day. You know, I saw you take a shit kicking in that meeting and the way you responded, I was proud of that. I was proud to be p- present for that. Or I was proud, like, so there's, there's the what's, what's, what do you think of this? What's really going on? Tell me a little bit more about, about what you're dealing with. And not necessarily, because he doesn't necessarily respond to what you're dealing with, but if we're working on something, what are you doing over there? Oh, I have an idea. And I noticed you were a little bit off. Is there something else behind all this? None of these are like the magic pills that work. It's just the constant curiosity of like an inch, another inch, another inch. And to your point, nothing else needs to be said sometimes except that here for you, I got you. I don't, I don't think they need to be said any, like told anything. I think it actually does more harm than good to a tradesperson. My experience, if I'm going to use my father as well, <clears throat> my experience has been that I spotted it in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And it's mean? because I've done a lot of personal development work and I've learned a lot of tools which I've put in this toolbox that now I'm lucky enough 
to be able to, to live life with, to be able to go into this, this toolbox when, at needed, as needed, and apply these tools that I've learned. And, I, and I've learned and observed that my father, throughout, my, throughout me growing up, was going through some mental health issues. Uh, and, and it was all related because to, to his business. He was an entrepreneur, a sole proprietor, you know, uh, the breadwinner. And um, it's a lot of pressure. And I've, I've had conversations since to try to, to learn more about, what, and not only about what he felt, but what lessons are there right. for, for me as well. So it comes to ba- down to conversation. I love what you, what you shared with us earlier, and we've already injected into this conversation. And that is the word curious, approaching things with curiosity. Holding space you know, is, is something that we all need to learn. But where I'm going with this is that w- there needs to be a large, um, a, por- a large portion of this needs to be education. Mm-hmm. Educating people on how to have difficult conversations, how to hold space, how to be kind, how to have empathy. Uh, and how to be caring. I think a lot of, or sorry, go ahead. There, there's one, I'll finish but with uh, um, an acronym uh, from uh, the mental health. I took mental health first aid over the holidays. And there's an, an acronym that they share with us, with his, with his which is ALGE, A-L-G-E-E, the action plan. So A is for assess, for risk of suicide or harm. L is for listen, non-judgmentally. G is for give reassurance and information. E is encourage appropriate professional help. And E again is encourage self-help and other support strategies. You know, that's easy, but there's also a little add on, especially on the encourage part. Uh, there's, there's a lot of sources that I'm glad to, to, uh, to share later on in our conversation. I think too, it's like, I don't know, the world now it's so divisive and polarizing and everybody's into extreme stuff. So some people might hear this and be like, oh, what are we supposed to do? Come in and do a group hug and kiss everybody and hold their hand and to ask them to stroke them. No, it doesn't have to be a dramatic thing. It doesn't have to be hours long conversation. It doesn't take more than a few seconds to check in with each other and say, hey, Jonathan, how's it going? And then you say, oh, I had a tough time. You know, my kid's sick. They're in the hospital. I'm sorry to hear that. Boom. You, you unleash some of the mental load. Maybe it improves your day by knowing that somebody's there if you need it. It doesn't take an hour millions of dollars to invest in it's just that little bit of extra to connect with somebody okay so can i challenge that though no um, <laughs> yes next <please laughs> <do>. question <laughs> you want an arm wrestle this you want to do an arm th- wrestle this is what happens though this is cool this is exciting because it's like we don't want it a lot of humans that don't want to be challenged so it's like hey how's it going fine or good but you can send straight away you're full yeah. of shit man yeah yeah so, so, so like these are if, if we can leave the audience give them a let's give them a tip so mm-hmm. you asked me a question Jonathan, how's it going? And let's just say that I, I'm struggling with a tough conversation that I had with my wife. Mm-hmm. But I don't tell you that. Like, fine. And so it's fine, right? But you can sense from the body language. Mm-hmm. So what now? What? what do we do next, guys? You can, you can share something that you're struggling with. Yeah. Chances are, as a leader, you're, ch- you're carrying something at any given point that's, that's bothering you or troubling you or you're having tremendous difficulty with. So why not show uh, transparency and, and share what you're struggling with with this individuals so that they can look at you and say, oh my God, I can't believe he's, he just shared that with me. What I'm sharing, I feel a lot safer now to share what I'm trouble, troubling or troubled with. Let me ask you guys, is it more important for a fellow person that's in your life to listen to what you want to expre- express and possibly offer some guidance 
or is it more important to assist with them getting back on track in life? Because my question is connected to at what point in someone's life the, do they start going down this, this downward spiral? It's different for everybody, right? It could be 20s and 30s and 40s, right? So all kinds of men and women go through kinds of shit. So it could be the choice of employment is not working out, so they're probably struggling at that point. It could be unplanned pregnancy. It could be wrong marriage. It could be loss of a parent, loss of a sibling. There's all these things that are happening. But is it more valuable to assist somebody to get back on their path of life or to listen to what they're going through? I think the second part has to come before the first part. Because to solve a problem, you have to acknowledge you have one and, fit and identify it, right? So We're be, talking about trace people here, though. Yeah. This doesn't matter. We're people. No, I I'm know. I'm not challenging. I'm yeah. just... No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm but just, it goes back to the thing. It's, it's not like if you express you're having a tough time with me, I'm not going to be like, okay, Manny, uh, I'm free for an hour this afternoon. Let's talk about your feeling. It doesn't have to be to that extent. But if they open up to you... and. I think that's the first step to uh, on the journey to getting back on the right course is expressing what you're going through. Because a lot of times, even when I've been going through shit in my past and I still go through it like on an almost daily basis, big things, small things, sometimes you're all stressed out and you don't even really know why. Your body knows why and your brain knows why, but it's a lot of subconscious because like you said, oh, I've got to keep busy. You're operating uh, with your front brain or whatever, not the reptilian part. But the base of your brain, like the fight, flight, or freeze response is what dictates most of your life, whether you know or not. So if you're going through a hard time and you have uh, something happens at work, or you have a conversation, you snap on somebody, that same conversation, if you weren't stressed out, you might not have snapped. But a lot of people don't realize why they're reacting like that. So I think step one is acknowledging what's going on and really defining what the problem is and then coming up with steps. But acknowledge it until the people are acknowledging it to yourself. To yourself. But I think First. you need the help of other people to do that a lot of times, like a sounding board in, in my yeah, experience. So w w my example, an example of that would be um, the feeling of being heard and understood. Mm -hmm. That's immensely validation. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody has, has held, I, I go back to these famous words for uh, famous because I've already used them a couple of times, but holding space, if somebody's held space for me and actively listened to me and mirrored to me what, what, they've lit what they've heard in a way that makes me feel heard and understood there's nothing more powerful in the world think back to anything it doesn't have to be me mental health if you're struck and you know on construction sites we have tons of examples of that when you're trying to when you're attempting to explain something and maybe your brain's going a mile a minute but somebody gets it like it, think back to that feeling it's it's a it's almost euphoric <laughs> I'm going back to the 20s. I'm going back to when you're younger and you're just discovering of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, most of us were independently doing those things and achieving those steps, mm -hmm. those milestones in life, right? On your own. On your own. Yeah. So you may have had a circle of friends and all of a sudden you got a job opportunity. So you started here and you learned what you can from that job and then it took you you met somebody else and it took you to the next one and all of a sudden you had all these positive uplifting milestones in life mm -hmm. at some point it starts to turn and now maybe in your 30s you're not getting as many opportunities so now you're not growing so now it's putting pressure on your personal life putting mm -hmm. more pressure on you but you don't want to look internally and go well listen i grew on my own and now i'm falling on my own Mm -hmm. I don't want to approach somebody to, 
ask them, what should I do now to try to get back on track to grow again? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm, I'm going with that. So, okay, so what's, where's your, your thought behind all that? It's the thought about opening it up and sharing with somebody. I think it's like, okay, I guess the power of positivity or the power of negativity, how you, you can wake up and think, my life is shit, everything's shit, things are shit. What kind of day do you think you're going to have? Yeah, shitty day. I wake up and you could be Stuart Smalley and all of a sudden I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and all this other shit. And is your life going to be perfect that day? Maybe, maybe it won't be. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I think it's you. You have to start changing that direction mm-hmm. to start off with. And I think that doesn't matter how small, you have to have these tiny, tiny wins mm-hmm. to get back on track. Absolutely. Well, so you can continue growing. Human yeah. beings want to grow. We want yeah. to excel. We want to keep on achieving. Different perception for everybody on what mm-hmm. level of success is, right? So I, kind, I kind of sort of like uh, life skills. Yeah. Well, we're always going to evolve. That's what you're talking about. We're always yeah. evolving, yeah. right? And shit's always When we're in this state, though, we don't feel like we're evolving. And I think that society is dictating to us that we need to reach out to somebody to help us get back on the evolving train. I don't you know have if to, that's the solution. I think the biggest problem, and this is me, I, I, when I, I think I mentioned this last time too, but the most beautiful moment in my life, other than the birth of my kids and my wedding, was I was 30, mid-30s. I was going through some stuff, and I realized that I'm really fucked up. I came, and I came, I came to the realization. I was reading books. I was doing therapy. But I, wasn't, I didn't actually come to the realization at that point until, until that point that it was up to me to make the change. Nobody was going to come and save me. My friends weren't going to come and save me. My, my wife wasn't coming. I had to make the decision. They were there to support. You can go to therapy. You can read books. But you have to make the decision to your point. You have to realize and make that decision within yourself to make forward movement. And it can be isolating. It can be lonely being in those situations and not being afraid to acknowledge it or whatever. But people are there to support you. And they, but they I also think that people are there in a tradesperson's mindset if they're going through shit. They're there to contribute to peace in their life mm-hmm. and nothing else. If there's more than anything other than peace, it contributes to the mental state of the person now. Now you're just compounding what's already going through that person. Mm-hmm. And I think most tradespeople at the end of their day want peace in their life, whether it's from their children or their significant other. They just want calmness because mm-hmm. that's what we look forward to. You want a place to go that's calm. What do we try to, like, people will stop and pull over and just silence in the car. People will stop at a park and sit on a park bench, silence. They want peace in their life. So that's why I'm trying to figure out that I think you guys are right. It's like the person has to acknowledge it. But I think they're having a hard time because in their 20s and they're growing, they're building their career. Mm -hmm. Everything was going up. Mm -hmm. Everything was like, I did this and it got me to that. I did that. I got me to this. But now things aren't going up. Things are barely climbing. Everything's probably mm-hmm. staying on level, if not starts to downward spiral. And then mm-hmm. things start changing. What if construction was different? What if construction wasn't the way it's always been? What if ideologies, philosophies, and outlooks shifted? What if people were treated as human beings rather than one-time use widgets to be dismissed upon project completion? What if the person leading the team actually gave a damn about the people doing the work? 
how would things be different? Decades of industry knowledge, failures, lessons learned, reflections along the way have taught me how to help people show up differently. That feeling of exhaustion, that feeling of being on an island that's sinking, that feeling that nobody gives a damn, I fixed that. When a team isn't performing to the level the team needs to be performing at, get involved. See, I ask tough questions. They're designed from a curiosity standpoint, not from a right or wrong standpoint, because curiosity leads to insight and innovation. Who doesn't want insight or innovation in their projects, in their lives? It's about amplifying the output of yourself and those around you, whether that be on a team or individual, whether that be inside a sports room, inside a boardroom, or on a construction site. When you give a damn about the people in front of you, the world opens up. Stress is relieved. You're no longer that person on the island that's going down. You're no longer dealing with the day-to-day grind that's exhausting. I'm Jonathan. I'm here to flip the script on everything you thought you knew about construction. Yeah, this is exciting. This is an exciting, this is instrumental, right? Can we go back to you for a second? I'd love to, yeah. Like, what do you do then? <laughs> you know, you're there. Yeah. You, you're, you're realizing, I'm reading, I'm taking all the seminars, I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm still status quo. Mm-hmm. What happens next? What do you do? That's the question. Mm-hmm. What did you do in your life at that point? I honestly, here, and to share a personal story, because I only know what I went through, but uh, so to your point, I, t- I, took the, I got on the train tracks. I, got, I came out of high school. I went to university. I got a degree. I graduated. I got a job. I got married. I had kids. And then this was part of my thing in, in my 30s. And I never regretted any of those decisions. But I stopped. And it was like I was on a train just looking down, reading a book. And I stopped and looked out the window. And I thought, what the hell happened? How did I get here? And that's when you start really questioning what your values are up until that point i was just kind of going yep yeah, i got i graduated i'm gonna get a job oh i got a job i'm gonna buy a house and then you get married you get the white picket fence that's and and i never really challenged the the norms i don't in, know a single person who's built a white picket fence eh? and mine's not white or picket I, I have a fence though it's a very nice fence but uh <laughs> but you know what i mean and and that's where the the it's almost like an existential thing which might be a whole other episode but what is actually important to you? Because you live your life by the standards that other people set for you up until a certain I'll point. I'll go even further. I'll say I think that we forget as we get into this state, we really forget the valuable little details in our lives. You ignore them. Mm. Well, because of the, the, the high pressure uh, yeah. uh, environment that we work in. Yeah. So... M- one of the ways that, that we could see a lot of change in an industry if we, you know, if we educated our workforce on what to do to, to, to be able to, to, to see and determine if they're happy with they, where they are, if they're happy with the current trajectory of their life, mm-hmm. if they're, they're the, the want to learn more things, like you were mentioning how to change your, your, your day. Like there's so many things I wrote down just quickly, you know, taking a 20, 30 minute walk at sunrise to reset your circadian rhythm. Um, it works. Yeah. Uh, t- take on journaling, which reminds me of, of a book by Hal Elrod called The Miracle Morning, in which he, he covers um, an acronym by, by the name of SAVERS. So S for silence, A for affirmations, which is telling yourself 
uh, encouraging words to achieve goals or and overcome f- fears and, and, and feeling happy. The S for silence is meditation. Uh, the V for in- savers is visualization. Imagining yourself doing the thing you need to do for the day and imagine what it feels like to, to succeed. E for exercise, don't need to say that. R for reading. And S for scribing, which essentially is journaling. Journal- journaling your thoughts. There's a lot of power behind journaling one's thoughts. Something that, need, that, that I feel would be immensely beneficial would be teaching our workforce these things, teaching breath work to our, to our workforce, teaching box breathing, uh, be it the, the Navy SEAL kind or the 478, uh, teaching them different ways to exercise, yoga, diet, health and wellness, uh, the, the walk at, uh, at, at sundown, which again mm-hmm. sets you up for your circadian rhythm. It mm-hmm. tells your body, okay, night's coming, now we got to go into night mode. I've taken it a little bit further and I've got red light bulbs at a certain point in the evening, which is typically at sundown. There's no more artificial light. I turn on these red lights and, uh, and I even have red, red lens glasses to control the amount of blue light that I allow my eye, eyes to go is in. Is that what uh, it's popular in Amsterdam? Is that why they... Yes, that's where I got it. It must be to yes. relax. I've never been. Yeah. <laughs> no electronics in but, the bedroom, leaving your phone to charge in the kitchen. Uh, if, you use, if you use your phone for an alarm... that's difficult for somebody in this state because they're using it as an escapism. Why do we check our social media? R- right. Well, get off Dopamine. social media and your, your mental health would improve dramatically. Yes, it would. But it's, then you it's about doing challenges too. If you're going to educate the workforce, give little challenges. It's a five or seven day challenge. It's a buildup, right? And mm-hmm. nothing's going to happen overnight. Uh, it's a it compound never happened effect. Overnight. Pardon? It never happened overnight. Never. To start that's, off with. No, exactly. Well said. But pretty close. And I'll elaborate on that because when you look, and I think about this now because I have kids, right? And they're, they're coming up with stuff. My son's 10 and he comes to me with technological questions I don't know how to address. And I look back, <clears throat> the way technology has advanced over the last 20 years with social media and the internet and access to information and all this, I think it's improving way faster than we are able to evolve to keep up with it. So you say it didn't happen overnight, but it happened relatively quickly with respect to, uh, uh, you know, if you look at back the history of mankind. Am I getting too deep here? Did I lose you guys? I don't know if it's going faster. I think there's more problems that people are giving themselves. Mm-hmm. I think if they go back to your point there, I agree with you on all that stuff, but it's hard to conduct a business, conduct a social media kind of, influencing entity it's it's hard to disconnect from all that when you're using it to reach people Mm -hmm. the best people out there doing influence type work or or that require a solid presence online are doing these things Mm -hmm. yeah they are so one of the to go back to how jonathan started the conversation off on you mentioned toxic masculinity as one of the reasons why uh, we're experiencing these, these things. I also, there's two words that I want to introduce is limiting beliefs. We've been wired yeah. to think this way, right? Yeah. So uh, well, it's not just about teaching uh, shop talk about uh, uh, industry-related topics. We need to start investing a lot more time, effort, and money in what will bring happiness to our workforce. Mm-hmm. Like you look at social media and like the platforms, it's, when you look at the heart of it, it's almost evil because the platforms are designed to keep people almost. on them. It is evil. It is evil. It's an like addiction. Like with the infinite no scroll and TikTok addiction. It's a big and addiction. just the psychology of, oh, do short clips, short attention span, on to the next video, click here. Like even with Netflix, my kid watches Paw Patrol on Netflix, okay? Before you can get to there to hit 
stop. It plays the next episode. It, they don't even play the credits anymore. It skips to... So all this stuff is designed to suck you in and keep you on well, and extract you, information. It's a dopamine hit. We know. I it's mean, the yeah. distractions. 100%. Yeah. So to tie it back to what we were saying here, because what you were saying, John Luca, was amazing and kind of dovetail with what I was thinking too, is um, coping mechanisms. And you mentioned it too. Everybody's trying to find peace. Everybody, nobody wants chaos in their life. But peace for some, and to me, finding peace is about coping. So with anything that happens to your life, you can't control what happens to you you can control how you react to it. So between a stimulus and a response, there's a decision that you make. And a lot of times it's a snap decision and you don't even realize you're doing it and it's just a reaction. But sometimes you can catch it and say, I had a really shitty day today. You know, my mom called, my dad's in the hospital. I lost money on this job. This person didn't show up. So you could go home and hit the bottle or whatever, do unhealthy coping mechanisms, or you could do some of this stuff you mentioned and deal with it healthy. Way, Why are right? we so quick to make a grocery list of everything that's going wrong in our lives and we don't spend the time and effort to make a grocery list of everything that's going right in our lives? It's mm. a very good question. Self-awareness. So gratitude is another well, one. Well, we're all rubberneckers, right? Yeah. I'm not one. If I'm on the highway Human and I see an accident, I speed up and I honk at the person in front of me. Yeah. yeah. If you want entertainment, pull over and look at it. But I'm going to point B right now. I think it must be human nature, man. Like you look at the news and I'm with you. Because I do not look at media. make their lives somewhat a little bit more interesting at that given moment in their life mm. when they keep forgetting that there's plenty of interesting things going on in their lives mm. they're just blinded to them mm. with you people like you guys with kids i'm sure there's thousands of moments of interesting opportunities with your kids and your family like but we're just we're blind to them percent. that's a very interesting question but, but even when and I'm with you, like I don't read the news and my wife makes fun of me. I'm not up on current events. But when I do, it's all bad shit. You rarely see a good story of like this guy rescued. I'll start up. reading the news when they start presenting both sides of the story. Exactly. That's and yeah, I'll you got to hear the good news. and the bad. We're not going to watch That's never going to happen. But why do they see the bad stuff? Because that's what people want to because hear. Because the grocery and that's to write that is a lot easier and that's than what it gets is attention. to write that it sells, guys. It's, we know that. It sells. Right? News it sells. Yeah. It sells. Yeah. And, and human beings, you know, 80% of the time something happens you drive by the the the, the collision on the on the highway and 80% of the time two things occur right it's like 80% of the time people are happy a is not them and 20% the other, the other 20% of the time is like um they they don't give a shit right so 100% of the time they're just like fucking mm. that's it right so we go back to you mentioned a whole bunch of things and gratitude and like, I can sh- I I want to share something that that works that I've done for me, and it's come in and out of my life. I'm a I'm a fan of journaling. There's so many different ways to journal. I use a five minute journal because it literally takes you five minutes. You writing or typing? I'm I'm writing by actually I do both. Okay. Uh, I I've experimented with both. I use Evernote as my platform to keep a journal, but I also use a five-minute journal by Intelligent Change, and it prompts you. It's like... You every day? Every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, four to five days of seven. I'm going to okay. say that, right? And it, you look at three things you're grateful for, what you want to achieve, and something you learned, which is instrumental. And there are other days, guys, where I'll wake up. This is true. This is real. Um, when, I, when I'm having conflicts with, with, with my wife, or I'm struggling with something with my kids, or something refreshing, and there's all kinds of stuff in my mind, and I share this with the athletes I coach and everybody else that's in orbit and of all the work that I do, it's 
brain dumping. I literally have a black book journal, the job site journals, and uh, I start at the back and I work forward and I write everything that's going on. This is pissing me off about Karina, my wife. This is, I'm struggling with Christian about this. Cassandra blew up on me. I'm, I'm struggling here. Like what? So what I'm doing is I'm getting it from here on paper. Are you writing any of the good? In this exercise, I'm writing everything that comes to my mind, right? Sometimes it's majorly bad. In, yes. You, list, is, you <laughs> listed out all bad things. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. Because this is when it's, when it's like, again, self-awareness. So you check in, right? I just erupted. Something just happened. First things, I'm checking it. Am I tired or hungry? Because we know most disagreements or most things occur when we're either tired or hungry. If I'm holistically, physiologically complete, what else is there? Let me get what's in my head. Hey, I'm struggling with the hockey team I'm coaching. We just had, you know, three guys get in a fight. I'm not sure how to respond to that yet. I'll write whatever is there, literally, and I share this with people to do this exercise. And then I write over it. And I write over it. I write over it. I write over it. So what ends up happening is you get a page of like blackness. You can't read it. Some I'll say it might be therapy for you to shred it or burn it. But what you're doing is you're we're we're creating RAM space, if that makes sense. I'm getting all the shit that's out of here onto here. I think a lot of times, too, it's like what I m- mentioned before. There's so much going on in the subconscious, and it's not necessarily on your mind, but it's still bugging you. So by doing that brain dump, you might bring to light, and, like, my wife started doing this because she's into, like, uh, self-improvement and stuff. And I'll say, oh, you know, she'll say, how was work today? I said, oh, I had a bit of a shitty day. And she'll just say, tell me more. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, 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 and I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, just tell me more. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's not. But sometimes that question prompts. It, yeah. it's, it's, you know, and I do that brain dump verbally because I don't write it down. But So I think there's power in that for sure. The only thing now when people hear that, it's like, well, where am I going to find time to do that? Like you mentioned, journaling, exercise, take a walk at sunrise. They're, My fucking kids wake up at 6.30. spending the, the time making the list of all the bad shit that's going on yeah. in their life. Yeah. I, I go back to your, your brain dumping, your challenge, and your journaling there. How many people actually write down all the shit that's going on in their life and then question if there's a reason behind why that shit's happening? Gone are the days of being a helicopter parent where everybody gets a fucking trophy. Everything that happens in your life, there's a reason why it happened. If you didn't get that job, if you didn't drive down that street, if you didn't get into that car accident, or if you did get into that car accident... There's a reason. Is there not a reason why certain things happen to you in life? But do anybody look at these things that happen and they're negatives at the time? We don't realize that they're positives until later on. 100%. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of education there before people can, can grasp that. that just oh, you have to be much older. You can't be a 20-year-old and realizing, I didn't get that job. I hate that company. I hate that person. And But... That job could have put you on a path that would have been a far worse situation in your life than what you're currently in. But those are the reasons and considerations uh, that are in front of that 20-year-old at that moment in time, hmm. right? But they don't have the challenges that we had at that age, right? We don't, and we don't discover the challenges until we're older. At the, in, at the same token, however, um, I'm a, of the belief that someone in, in their 20s can do a lot more than what we did 30 years oh, ago. Oh, 100%. You know, for sure. Because... <laughs> 
for once, I can say that because of social media, if you're going down to the right sources, social media can be a good source. Of, That's the key because right? there's so much social media noise. Mm-hmm. One day someone's telling you that red meat's good. Next day someone's telling you the right. fucking rat shit is great for you. It's just like you have to figure. That's where you have to look both both sides of the story and decide what is good for you. And it's a trial and error too. Yeah, yeah you got to do your own research, man. Yeah. Well, so getting back to what you were saying, if I could just share a story here for a minute, is uh, if you guys ever looked into mindfulness or, or uh, meditation, I yeah. know you're into that. Yes. It's non-rea- yes, yes. non-reactivity, non-judgment. So not seeing things as inherently good or bad, just as things. Like if something happens and say, you're, say you get an- anxious about speaking in front of a crowd or something, like that, that's not you as a person. That's just something you're experiencing. You're experiencing anxiousness. You're not an anxious person. You know what I mean? And there's a story about a, a farmer who, it's, I think it's fictitious, but this farmer's on a farm one day, he comes, there's a stallion shows up on the farm, okay? This big, beautiful stallion. And the neighborhood's like, wow, you're so lucky this stallion's coming in. And he's like, oh, it might be good, might be bad, we'll see. You guys know this story? Yeah. Yeah, Chinese fable. I, yeah, it was a Chinese, Chinese fable. fable, yeah. So the stallion, the next day runs off, and everybody's like, wow, that really sucks. You know, you had the stallion, and you had, and, and you were about to break it, and then it escaped. He goes, that ah, might be good, might be bad, we'll see. The next day, the stallion comes back with a bunch of their buddies. So now he's got like five, six stallions, and everybody's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, it's like a roller coaster. It's so amazing. You got the stallion. He's like, might be good, might be bad, we'll see. So anyway, next day, eventually the son tries to break one of the horses. He's riding it. The horse bucks him off, breaks his arm. And they're like, wow, this is so bad, you know. <clears throat> and the farmer's like, might be good, might be bad. The next day, the army comes through. They're uh, doing subscription for the, uh, the, the war that's going on. And they can't take his son. He's too old because he's an old man. His son's injured, so they can't take him. So the moral of the story is, you, you can't tell, to your point, what's good, what's bad. And... I believe, number one, in life, there's no coincidences, which we got to share a story in a second here. And <laughs> number, number two is like, you don't know if things are good or bad. You just got to wait. Because if it's not a happy ending yet, the story is probably not over. Two in a thing, lot of cases. Two of the things that that makes me, that reminds me, and I've uh, experienced the, the highest level of, of these two when I went for my first uh, natural plant medicine ayahuasca journey. And it's allow, being and allowing. Mm. Or to the through the most difficult things to do on earth for me. I can't speak for anybody else, mm. but it sounds like you know uh, it can dovetail into um, the story that that you uh, you just shared with us. Yeah, like things happen, and it's how you respond to it, and that's the tough part. It's and it's it's simple, but it's not easy because everybody gets down in the dumps. Sometimes but I think the mental health keeps on compounding and getting worse and worse for an individual. Mm. Because so many things happen and they keep forgetting about so many good things that are still going on. Mm. Sure. So imagine if we taught them uh, on, on going to look for and, and appreciating writing down and owning the good things Just that are in their good life. Things, simple good things. But you these, are all, these are all, like, these like are all things simple. that we should be teaching our workforce, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm talking like doing this even on site for, for what... The, the, the regular schmo out there may look may think of you know they're just regular people they're not they're, they're without the the workforce they're on our are on our sites we can't execute so mm-hmm. we need to be taking a lot better care of these people um i do want to say that i'm not a fan of the the term toxic masculinity right like i don't fucking agree with it um i'll never agree with it i never did agree with it and a man speaking up for himself 
or for a group of men isn't toxic. Mm-hmm. It's not. And I will say, um, if there is toxic masculinity, there's definitely toxic femininity. All right. There's some crazy women think, out there. Yeah. As much as there's some crazy men out there. So they're both out there. And I just like when I recently came across something that I read, how a lot of women leave their partners because the men are not successfully growing as quickly as they deserve them to be growing. And they'll leave the partner, which yeah. puts the man in a certain situations. Right. Well, oh, that's not. That. That's Hang on a second. Right. Can, can I come back to that for clarity purposes sure. to unpack that? When I hear the word toxic masculinity, here's what it means to me. It means um, toxic, so strong, on the excessive tipping of um, the word that comes to mind is machoism or like bottling things inside, not talking about things, um, which sounds, which seems to me different than the way you just described it. It is, yeah. Right? Because the way you just described toxic masculinity in your world comes to this of no it's the way social media has described it so then educate me what do you mean by that it's the way they presented it how a man shouldn't stand up for themselves okay see i see i had the opposite meaning of that i'm saying thank you and thank you for the clarity because the way i've been using toxic masculinity masculinity is too much of the way it's always been done bottling shit up machoism I'm going to, you know, punch that guy in the face and that's how I'm going to deal with it. No, I don't look at it that way. That's not, I've never seen it that way. Got I it. think that the moment that a man stands up for themselves, they get labeled that, which I don't think is a right. I don't, I think that's wrong. So before, before coming on here, I thought long and hard about whether to use those two words together and I sure. decided not to. Okay. Because <laughs> it, it incites that reaction in people. No, because it does. And I, I don't mean like, oh, I don't want to, con- I'm scared of conflict. It's just people hear that and their minds just, because I do it too. Like, it, and it just jumps to, again, when we talk about extremes, because that's what people are into. For me, in the one study I read, uh, it used the term masculine norms, like you were saying. I think men, and this is like without labeling it, men are probably less likely to go to the doctor when they're hurt or talk to somebody when they're experiencing mental sure. health issues. That's a masculine norm because you're taught as a man, you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to just suck it up yes. and keep going. So toxic, it does add, like like you were saying, that's like extreme like harm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that word, but there's definitely a masculine norm that seems to be a, a problem or a barrier to seeking help with mental health issues. Or is that too political? No, I love this because this is the whole. This is our whole <laughs> no. world, right? The yeah. world exists in the languages we use. Yes. Well, you got to so. think about everything that's going on in a in a tradesperson's life and what mm. they're seeing, and if they're on social media and they're seeing this and they're being bothered with toxic this and that, you shouldn't do this. You should be this. You should be whatever. Like they're fucking confused. Of course, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent confused. So here's a way to reframe it in in order to tie it into our, our industry in general. Hence, the reason why it is imperative that we do everything we can to encourage more females to, to come into the industry so we can balance out this energy, bring in more yin energy to balance things out, but also in a way that they can teach us males to be a little bit calmer and to hold on to our, to our emotions, to be able to share our emotions. Uh, I'm a firm belief that a, a, a woman will do a lot better job with that than males. So can I ask a question? I'm going to argue that. Like, I'm going to... I think what was really nice, and there's very few things that happened on social media that was nice, and I actually reposted it, and you guys probably saw it. There was a post, a couple of posts that was like, bring back chivalry. Bring back masculinity. Bring back just niceness. Just bring this shit back. 
I think men in general, they have that in them. If we, I, I still open up doors for man or woman. Thank you. <laughs> but and, and I still yeah. open the car door yeah. for man or woman. Like I have no issue with that. You're a passenger of my vehicle. I'm going to open up the car door. Whether that's offended to you, like uh, that's your deal. I don't give a shit. But I just, I think that I still give flowers to a date. Like I still do those things. But I think if you were asking the women to do all those things, but I'm not offended if a woman gives me flowers. Right. I think that they're both be there. I don't think that's going to change the construction industry by adding more females into the industry because I don't think that the majority of females want to do a lot of the work that the males are doing in the industry. Do we know that for a fact? That's not a fact. I, well, the numbers wise. Well, right now as it is. Well, there's only 4% any of female on Okay, site, but go right? to any country. U.S. is probably twice the amount of female working in construction than it is in Canada. We're at about a 4% rate. They're at about 8 or 9% rate. As far as I know from speaking to people on this show, the U.K. is similar. Every, around the world, it's all very, very similar. So there's always that, that same number. So those job opportunities are there for female and male. Mm. But the, the females are not taking those job opportunities. And then when you start seeing iron workers, oil rig workers, I, I never see a woman in those positions doing those jobs, right? So they're not choosing those jobs, which is fine. That's their choice to do it. They want well, the other jobs. Well, the question is why aren't there more women in construction maybe? Maybe this it's isn't a male-dominated industry, and yeah. sure, there's a lot of flack in the industry too, and, and they get a lot of pigs in the industry too. Yeah, and there's Hence a the reason why that's and, that's and what I was. Addressing. I know, but I wasn't addressing I, the holding the doors. I've or dated paralegals, and I'm being told the same thing. There's a lot of fucking sexism and bullshit in in the I legal any, industry. Any, a lot of any industry, yeah. so it's all there. Yeah. But there's a spotlight for some weird reason on construction. Like we're all a bunch of pigs. And I think because that's how we've been depicted in the media. In pop culture and the media, that's what you see and, in movies. And, and it's guy, it guy, and I said this last time, but it's guys smoking cigarettes outside of sight, catcalling women. I think that's what people will see when they in the movies, and that's, I think, anyway. Sorry, good. Italian men still not catcall. They, I consider it compliment a woman that walks by them that's specifically dressed a certain way, that has class, that is walking a certain way. Mm -hmm presenting themselves a certain way that still happens in europe that happens in italy that happens mm. in portugal that happens in and spain it's received that happens. It, is it received well it's or received it? well because yeah. it's a compliment yeah, yeah yeah but in today's society here in north america it's not a compliment mm -hmm. it's a cat call mm. yeah that's why i disagree with it and you're just acknowledging a compliment that's all you're doing yeah but even to go back to what you said about how it started with having more women in trades yeah sure let's check that box and have women show up as they truly, I'm going to use this word, this fluffy, authentically are. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of women that we know that get into the industry for different reasons and yet get suppressed, mm -hmm. right? And they fall susceptible to the, the narrative of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work and I'm not going to break the social norms. So there's, there's still a percentage there that we need to address, right? Yeah, I'd like to add that not only trades, even, even in the office, I'm just, I'm in a firm belief that our industry needs a lot more yin energy, which is a female energy. I agree. I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. I agree with you. So, but I don't think you need 50-50. It ain't going to change. No, I'm not alluding to that. I'm just saying we need, a, we need more. I agree. And whatever that I more totally is, agree. I think we'll all figure out once we hit that, that, uh, that sweet spot. I we'll think, both, uh, look, we'll, both sexes will look at each other and go, 
yeah, I think we hit a good a good sweet spot here because everything will be running a lot smoother than it is now. But the industry is not making it attractive to female to get into this industry. No. Well, I don't know about that. But it's, you're, not, you're it's, right not even making it, it's not even making it attractive for men to be in this industry and stay in this industry mm-hmm. because of all the stats that you guys have just shared, mm-hmm. because of all the shit that we've seen on job sites, because of all the stuff that we go through. That's the hurdle here. It's not about getting people in this industry. It's about keeping people in this right. industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna, I want to touch a, a, on that in a second, but I just want to piggyback on what Angelo shared with us earlier about you know being paid in with the same brush. It's It's... I feel it is my observation that we've allowed that to happen as well, yeah. right? As an industry, we haven't fought back. We haven't uh, retained our power. I mentioned at the last podcast with Angelo and I, we're, we're here in middle of November, that my observation continues to be that we've uh, we've let go or lost a lot of our power as an, uh, as an industry. And that's one of the reasons why we are where we are, why we're being discounted for our professional uh, uh, wisdom, experience, and knowledge. But having said that, you know, I go back to, to saying it again. We've allowed it to happen. We've allowed every man in this industry to be painted with the same brush. And it's unfortunate because it's not like that. No. Well, is there a lot of them? Yes, there is There is a, a ton of room for, for improvement. But if we took the, the, um, the, the spotlight off the bad apples and started shining the light on the, on, the, on the bright ones, I think you'll see a lot more people, including women, coming to the industry and including our you, youth. And that brought up a good point. And where do you hear the good stories about construction? Like there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of construction, right? There's some bad apples, but I think it comes down to a marketing issue. Like with kids, they're inherently fascinated in construction. Like my son, Jude, he's three. He loves excavators. He's got a bunch of toys. All he reads is construction books. <laughs> but at some point, they kind of lose that magic, probably because they see or they're told that, oh, construction is not a viable thing. But the funny thing is... Where the fuck would we be without construction as a society? Like we talk about building hospitals, leading edge healthcare, leading research, KMH does research. Who builds those buildings? Who designs those buildings? It's part of the construction process, but people don't know about it. And I don't know why. The construction industry is very isolated. As a matter of fact, we work under extreme stresses on the daily. Our industry is a taker. It takes a lot, but it gives very little in return to our people. And I find that a crying shame. It's also among the many reasons why I founded the Constructors Guild, a community for those who build them. So if you're a construction professional looking to surround yourself with like-minded individuals, people who share some of the same core values, you're willing to put yourself in first position, you are supportive and generous with your wisdom, this might be the group for you. Check me out on LinkedIn or check us out at constructorsguild.com. We have, well, Am I getting too frustrated no, for no reason here, guys? Not at all. I share that frustration. We haven't marketed ourselves properly. And one of the things that I, one word that will summarize a way that we can become better as an industry, portray a, a better, change our narrative, renovate uh, the, the industry, no pun intended. That's a good one. Yeah. I got, I got a <laughs> trademark on that, by the way. I do. I got, I got it. Um, is, uh, is, the, is the word is community. 
you know, building a community within the industry where people can actually turn to each other and do some knowledge transfer and support each other. There's a big, we're missing a peer support group within our industry. For what we do with Angelo already alluded, for what we do for our nation and for the world for that matter, we need a lot more support and a lot more respect. We got to earn the respect though, but there's some respect that should Where be given back. I think to get that from, like politically, what's that? The the community, the respect, and we should the well the community. We can, we should be building it ourselves. There's too much competition in construction. There's a huge amount of competition we, in high rise construction. Like Inherently dog, com- competition, but if you if you if you let go, uh, like you check when the I say IP, competition, I mean high and laborers. So executives. Mm. And the labor force. Well, it, it needs to be compartmentalized. but I It think will never because they want that line. I, I, I'm a firm belief that for the time being, just to, in order to build a community, it needs to be compartmentalized into probably three of them. But once, and this is the vision I have for the Constructors Guild, ironically, is to for once a year, bring them all together in the same room so that they can cross-pollinate. They can start learning from each other, understanding that the C, what the CEO goes goes through as it relates to struggles. Maybe someone who's a PM, who's a site manager, is going to be sitting there. I had no idea that, that a, C- a CEO goes through that, that type of trouble. Much like that CEO or COO or director of operations will be looking at a project manager doing a 10-minute talk and go, F, like, fuck. And the first thing they do at break is they go outside, they call the office and say, Monday morning, this is what we're doing. I want to talk about this right away, and we're going to start implementing some changes. None of this shit will happen if all of us stay at, at every different, you know, in, if we're all in the same arena, but we're all seated in different spots, how are we going to communicate? That's Communication, uh, yeah. community, collaboration, cooperation. Well, construction, to your, your point, is very siloed, and that's an overused term, I know, but... I'm going to throw it out there because you've got the executives who are, I look at it from a business perspective, like the stuff we're talking about, mental health and investing money and change. If you're somebody at an executive level who's benefited off of the way the industry has operated for so long with that barrier between the executives and the laborers, what's the incentive to change? If they're making money and that's why the business exists to make money, why implement the change? To me, it comes down to a people thing. You want people to be successful. You want them to be happy. But from a pure business perspective, from accounting perspective, they don't want that. Yeah. And even when you look at, so there's the executive divide in the field, right? And at bigger companies, especially, it's very decentralized. By, uh, what I mean is you've got a head office that usually has HR, accounting, senior leadership. Then you've got a bunch of sites all over the place that are basically operating as islands, sub-companies like profit centers. And there's a huge disconnect. So I think that's a good point to... And what I'm kind of honing in on here is like just breaking down barriers and creating uh, an environment of like psychological safety where everybody can kind of just be themselves. Because when you open up, you'll find that you might have similar challenges, maybe not uh, from an empirical standpoint, like millions of like dollar wise, but people issues. But what I don't want to happen is the extreme where you bubble wrap the entire industry. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that going to the other extreme about coddling and making sure nobody ever goes through struggles is a solution to this. And I'll just give you like a generalized example. You're using a brad nailer for the very first time and you put your finger half inch away from the brad nailer's tip and then you have a misfire and the nail comes out and it goes right into your finger. Then you're taught 
keep your finger as far away as the length of the nail. But if you want to tell the person, just keep your hand off the piece of wood and don't use your second hand as balance and don't whatever, and you want to bubble wrap them, they're never going to learn. Mm-hmm. They're not going to learn how to be a f- possible good tradesperson if they're constantly being protected about everything. Mm-hmm. How you express something, how you've shown, glanced, looked, or work, or whatever, then what kind of a workforce are you going to build well, at that point? Listen, I, I concur. I, 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 I too do not want the industry to be coddled. However, it needs to be taught. Yeah. It needs to be coached. It needs to be mentored. Yes, and it's not just the workforce, the people on site who uh, I, I, you know, I cherish and value the most because without them. We don't. We have nothing. Yep. But it also means middle management and upper management, mm-hmm. because we covered earlier in our intro and in the, in the stats that that Angelo and I dumped on the table for, for us is that fifty percent of upper management have no idea how to de- how to deal with mental health, or do they want to? Oh, that's a different question. What's I don't the think incentive? they want to. Here's the incentive: they're it, replaceable. The workforce is replaceable. They're replaceable, but there's when kids right now that are going to replace the kid that's considering taking their life. But there's a cost to things. If you if you want to just look at the dollars and cents and put my accounting hat on, when there's uh, an injury or loss of life at a site, it costs money because it shuts down the site. It costs money to do investigations. You got to do paperwork. A bunch of people spend a lot of money. Price of business in their eyes. Well, that's just money you can save. In my, there's a return. They'll on save it, it elsewhere by hiring mm. somebody new that's being paid less. No, t- well. So I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would hazard a guess that... No, I'm just trying to put my executive I know, no, I know, I know. How valuable is that person? But you would get a... Re- yeah, you, if you want to put a number to a person taking their life out of sight or getting injured, you can probably do it. You can probably... And totally there's probably can. been studies. Totally so can. what what is there... What cost would be into going into training and uh, provide interventions, which I'll, I want to get to in a second here. Look at the automakers. Different levels of interventions. At what point do they decide to do a recall? It's not until there's a certain amount of deaths. Right, because they did the math. Are contributed to lawsuits. Because they did the math. Yeah. I so as a business, as you're building towers, and you have X amount of dollars to build a tower, and you have a workforce, and this is what they're going to cost, and there's a death, deaths, or mm. loss of life, or what have you, they balance the two, and they go, okay, well, we need 100 people to die here for us to start digging into piece of our profit so i would guess that that math has i'm making up these numbers it sounds awful but that math and it occurred and it occurred sure it does but i don't know if that math has been done in the construction industry it can't be done and if it has been done it will never be revealed i'll I'll share math based on on the data that we have now we mentioned earlier angela you you led with um, among other data one of the that you love led with was that it currently costs canada mental health in illness currently Mm. costs canada 51 billion and then I sh- afterwards shared that it's trending to hit 2.5 trillion by 2041. So seeing as though our, the construction's GDP to Canada is 7.8, take 2.5 trillion divided by 7.8, there's 320 and a half billion reasons why we need to get our shit together mm. as an industry. That's how much money it's going to cost the, the construction industry. So once upper management, these C-suite executives, which I used to be one up until, on, up until July, we need to get our hat out of, out of our ass and start realizing that without our people, we're nothing. So we need to invest in people. You know, people over profits. Everybody seems to, not everybody, a lot of them out there seem to be using that as a means of, of marketing themselves. But we need to start standing by it. Yeah. Let me no, put no, it this sure. way then. I'm the executive. Yeah. And I do a huge shout out and 
look for a workforce outside of this country, and I invite immigrants to come in here. I invite hardworking Irishmen to come in here, mm. and I replace that entire workforce that I do not have to train mental health. I do not have to fucking care about their feelings. I do not have to shit. I don't give a fuck. You're coming in, and I'm paying you less, and I'm still meeting my quota, and I'm still achieving my buildings. I'm just being a bad guy. That's what I'm just saying. Yeah. But that's okay. the I don't mind. think they would come here because the cost of living is too high, which is another issue. Man. Well, <laughs> well, you're that's, promised. That's you're, promi- you're promised a lot of shit. Right. That's how you get yeah. 8 million people to come in here. Yeah. 7 million people in 8 years. You make a bunch of bullshit promises. Mm-hmm. Um, I think well, being an eternal optimist, but also a realist, I feel that uh, what the future holds for our industry specific to mental health and specific to our workforce. If you don't get on this train, this, this train now and start taking this seriously, it's going to cost you a, not only profit, it's going to cost you business and it's going to cost you your workforce and define costs. Like, are you going to lose them to them taking their life? Are you going to lose them because they're going to go for work for another company that yeah. actually has their shit together? You know, this well, is the future. Uh, if people want to yeah. really take care of their, uh, um, like, you know, the, a lot of them, uh, a lot of clients out there put out the word that this is what they want their service providers to look and feel and act like. So if that's really the case, and if the client stands by that, then we also have our job to do in so order to. Uh, I'll paint you another scenario here. because I want to be the bad guy today. By all means. Love it. I had a conversation over the weekend with somebody that uh, is a very good friend of a, a specific restaurant in Toronto that's uh, a diner, a, a dive. Great burgers. I won't say their name or anything like that, but they're refusing to sell the property. Right? So they've been offered, I think, up as much as $5 million for this little piece of property, right? And uh, everybody around them has sold and given it up, right? So she's just refusing because she's had it for... 40 plus years or whatever Mm -hmm. and the amount that they offered she makes in a year and a half oh wow so why would you sell right so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm my point where i'm going with this is that so you've got a property eventually she will sell it's just there's going to be a number everybody has everybody has a number yeah so whether if they have offered five million they're eventually going to probably offer her 10 million or 20 million that might be the magic number that she says sure what does that do for the cost of living now that building now that was selling units at a 1.2 million for one unit just went up to 1.7 million. Mm. That, that's that's a, what's going to happen. Then you're going to hire a workforce cheaper to build that building yeah. to make the profit margin for the executives. That's where the line's drawn from the executive class and the labor force. It's going to be difficult to separate that line. But that's based on the assumption that she, get, she gets more money than 5 million. But it's every property. So when you, like, uh, you guys are all old enough that I could walk around Toronto back in the, the late 90s, early 20s, where you could throw a rock and hit a parking lot. Mm-hmm. There was somebody who had a parking lot. You can't do that today. Right. Mm-hmm. Because every single one of those parking lots gave in because they hit their magic number. It's just a matter of time before you get that magic number, whoever owns that plot of land. And now all we get is crane after crane after crane. On that specific example, I'm not challenging you. I'm no, just no. This is my, my mind process is thinking that now that she's the, the last woman standing for this property, she's lost a lot of leverage because everybody else cashed out. Maybe, maybe nope. not. Because everybody that's going to be living around her is going to smell those burgers and they're going to continue to buy and her well, profit's going to go yeah, up. I'm also looking, I don't know what the site plan looks like, right? So I don't know uh, in, in relation to how the, the future development. But, but my point was that the cost of that condo that would be built is just going to increase now. Mm-hmm. And for an executive to still sell those units and hit their profit margin, which is a big company, okay. there's lots of big companies in Toronto, in Canada, they're just going to reduce the workforce or the 
the amount that they're going to give. Like who who takes the biggest hit all the time? It's so, always the workforce. So how so about this? Yeah. Is the you answer. come in and I need you to drywall, but your quote was this, but I need it to be twenty percent less. Otherwise, you're not getting the job. The thing is, somebody always does it for the number, right? That's what I mean. <laughs> so the executive will still get their profit. Yeah. The workforce will beat the shit out of themselves to get the and job and do the job. The, the people and suffer mental. Yes, the people over suck. and the over because suck. now they're going to go home and not make their fucking well, I think money, their mortgage, and now stress starts. This, now mental. This goes to what you were mentioned before, and we've talked about before how we've relinquished a lot of control in the construction industry. Like considering that the workers are the the bee, the worker bees that actually put the widgets together and get the work done. They're getting shit on because the shit just flows I think there down should be a law put into effect that any building that's built, there should be a profit share. It doesn't matter if it's point zero 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 one. Every single laborer that works on a building gets a piece of the profit but of that fucking labor building. Force. That's, that's yeah. it, it'd be great, but that's further down. No, actually, happening. it exists today. If, if that's happening, <laughs> then I'm seeing unicorns there's, because there's, it's not going to happen. There's well, never there, going to be. There, that. There's actually uh, the software is called Protiv. Michael Fortenberry has created it, and what it is is it, it actually does that. It pays the end user a bonus <laughs> based on the structure. So, so give me, I'll give you context. If if and I've interviewed this gentleman. He's, he's really, really cool. If this room is supposed to take us 20 hours to build, and let's just say it's a carpenter's 20 hours to do this room, here's your set fee. Call it $2,000. Just pick a number. It's $2,000 to do this room. Okay? If he finishes in 18 hours, he still gets paid his full... I'm using him. He, this this tradesperson still gets paid their full value automatically. So now it's, it's actually a combination of... Hourly wage and piecework. It actually occurs. So what happens is it shows up real time on the end user's paycheck weekly. It's mm. it's pretty cool. What's the I've name seen of the other ones too? It's called Protiv. P R O T I V. Another one too. But I what I would say there, and just to be the bad guy here too, is a company owner could use that as a tool to drive their people. <laughs> Meaning, like, say that room takes two thousand dollars, but they know it's really twenty five hundred dollars, but they agree to two thousand, and then they drive their guys to finish it. It's good that they get a cut, okay. they get incentivized, but you still have the ability to abuse people and you know take advantage and push them to do unrealistic work. I think if you forced builders to acknowledge the fact that they have to give a profit share, doesn't matter how small that fucking percentage is, they're going to invest in that workforce a lot more because they're going to want to know who that person is. There's no argument. Here's, here's my rebuttal. My rebuttal is um, we need to push back on the owner a lot more. And say no. This is not the way it's going to go. This is how it's going to go, and this is what we need from but you. Now you don't get the role. job. Well, mm-hmm. so fucking what? The At one point, we're going to have to draw the line in the goddamn sand. I know, I know, but that's right? that's what's going to happen. But I think if you force it where they have to, it's part of business. It's no different than it's part of business to to grease certain wheels to get some certain zoning approvals. Yeah, like we all know that shit happens. So why can't why are we ignoring the labor force who's actually the hardest working part of that component? But but, bef- but listen, in, if I'm going to go in the pecking order, it's not because it's me sharing. But that's the first one I've already shared is to push back in the owner. The second was charge more. I don't feel as an industry Cost we charge living enough. though. We don't charge enough. I agree with you. Hands down. 100% I agree with you. We so will, let's charge. We will never charge enough for the value that a, a tradesperson brings. If. But that house now is going to cost what? I was going to say, it's still going to flow downstream, You have to guys. reduce the government fees. I, but we all have seen these stats here. We've seen what how much the government has increased the cost of building mm, a yep. new structure. It has dramatically increased, like 300% bullshit increase, right? Compared to everything else. So the government needs to pull back. But they're doing that. We know why. 
because they have a huge deficit and they have to somehow look pretty come election time. Yeah. So you have to reduce that number. But I, I, I want the pushback. I want that to happen. I want the labor force to say, no, we're worth more. We should be making more money. But the problem is, like we mentioned before, too, and from what I've seen, like I used to work in estimating, and it was always ICI, like uh, bigger type jobs. But it seemed to be there was always somebody willing to do it for a shit low number. That's right. So if you push back on the owner, they're going to say, okay, man, or not. I'm yes. going to call my buddy and he's going to do it. So, yes. so how do we do that? You got to get everybody on the same page to say, look, guys, enough's enough. And how many well, big companies outsource it and subcontract it to smaller companies yeah. and they're still making cream? And yeah. they're not even doing the job. They don't have the risk. There, yeah. There's a there's a ton of those. But here's one way to, to achieve that is to uh, identify your ideal client avatar. You know, one of the mm -hmm. things that I keep telling everybody is that not everybody's meant to work with each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. So before you even get to profit sharing or get to tell the owner uh, uh, what you need from them, which is I don't think many companies do out there. You know, not only do I need payment to be on time, but this is the, the information I need for a certain time. And you, I need for you to be on top of your shit. Plus, I, I don't need 13 people to, representing your, your office. I need one. That's it. Because the more people you send at me, the more complicated things are. Mm -hmm. But now we're going down a little bit more granular. But, but these uh, are all things that are contributing yeah, to the mental they, state of a trades. We're person. setting the boundaries up front, folks. That's what I'm just saying is that yeah. all this shit is going on. Boundaries so they come into work and they're like, I'm only making this much. And yet they're asking me to work harder. So instead of saying yes to, to unrealistic demands and expectations to clients, why don't we just start by saying no? It's that limiting belief that we're not going to get the... the, the uh, you're going back to Angela's point is that you say no and somebody else is going to say yes. But if there's a lot more of us saying no... At a certain point, we'll start moving and start creating our own uh, ecosystem. There's a lot of companies out there that don't want to deal with the bullshit. Mm -hmm. they may, a lot of them may want to have the dealio, but they don't understand that the half million, the million, the five million that, that, that people left on the table in order to get the job, they're going to pay that and more in premiums once the extra yeah, start rolling changes around. and headaches, yeah. That's what people don't see, man. It's very short-sighted. But uh, that's also part of our... Uh, uh, part of our problem because we haven't educated our, our, uh, our, the public. A lot of this is also our, our, our own doing, right? Well, I agree with if you. If we don't speak, mm. how are people going to know? Okay, let me, if I can shift gears for a second here. No. Okay. No, no, because we kind of touched on it. And well, I just get, get, to get, do getting, to you I know, what yes, you did to I like to stir the pot. I'm a shit disturber too. I'll give you that one. It's okay. Yeah. No, like, what are some benefits to investing in your people? Like, and I don't want to get into dollars and cents, but like what impacts does mental health have on workers? And I just made a little bit of a list here. So like obviously performance. If you got in a fight with your wife or you got a kid in the hospital or something happened, you're not going to be operating at 100%. Your productivity is going to drop down. You're going to be at a higher risk for making mistakes, possibly something that's going to cause a safety issue. Okay, so you're going to increase that... that uh, aspect absenteeism a lot of people like we had a stat before 500,000 Canadians I think a week or whatever miss work because of mental health issues so if you if you're addressing those issues more people are going to show up for work they're going to cause less disruption and get more done presenteeism I don't know if you guys are ever familiar with that term mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I, I've totally been there where you're physically in a spot but your mind is not mm -hmm. and you're basically useless yep. because you're dealing with other stuff and you're distracted again that's going to impact your productivity and increase uh, uh, potential for safety issues. Uh, disability costs, like people, when people go off on mental health leave, it costs money, it costs companies money, insurance premiums, costs the government money. 
And we talked about one attraction and retain retaining uh, talent. Because mm-hmm. uh, if people are in a company or in a team where they they feel valued and they feel cared for, which if somebody actually takes time to get to know me and connects with me and I feel safe sharing anything with them. Not that I'm going to come to work and chat with them for an hour every day about what the issues I have, but if I feel like I can come with my problems, I'm probably more likely to stay there than somebody who doesn't give a shit about me and treats me like an animal. Am I wrong? No, you got the, you're, you're demonstrating psychological I'm, safety. You got their psychological back. Psychological safety. Yeah. That's what well, it all comes down to. Creating an environment where people, and, and this might get, get off topic again. I know I tried to rein it back in, but to what you were saying too about these norms, masculinity, femininity, chivalry. To me, once you put a label on stuff, that's where things get messy. Like, just be who you are. If you want to be a manly man, be a manly man. If you're a medium manly man like myself, I'm not super macho, but I'm still like, I possess manly traits. I like to think I do anyways. Be that. Don't try and fit into another label, another bubble, because that's where you create this uh, dissidence and this, these issues What do you guys think arise. is the number one stressor for men to start going down the path of mental health issues the number one stressor is it is it work related problems is it financial related problems is it spousal problems is it loss of family life problem like what is the number one you think that you think actually starts the, the mental health issue train i have no data to support this is simply bias i think it's family related Okay, but specifically, tell so, me family yeah, yeah. related. I'm Wait, are you talking bit. about loss of a parent? No, loss of a child. So I'm talking about actually a little bit more of a holistic approach. I, the the um, I must contribute, right? And I must now show up for my family and my children and my wife, and look after my aging parents. Like that. So holistic approach of holy smokes, I got stress here. I've got stress here. I've got stress here. But you're it, not allowed to show any cracks. Okay, but which one is the number one one? Which is the one that the, I'm talking about? I want to figure out what the caboose is for the mental health issue train. Okay. What's cool. the number one so thing I, what, that starts that train from starting? Yeah, I don't know. The, what I'm going to say is, in my I'm not opinion, talking stats or anything. I'm, I'm just talking opinions. I think here. it is not. I'll tell you what I think it is not. I think it is not stuff that happens daily on a, on a construction site. 100% I agree That's, with you yeah, on that. It just exasper- it's that exasperates that. things. It's not that. So what do you guys think it is? I love what Jonathan said uh, in everything he, he uh, on, on how he shared with us uh, the holistic approach of, of family, of uh, being a caregiver, a, a sole breadwinner. I, I know you didn't share that, but it could be, or the majority of the breadwinner. Um, I feel that uh, financially, there's there's big pressures. Sure, it could be tied in with with family as well, you know. And quickly, that's there's another thing. It's not everything that's that we can teach our workforce uh, is is um, is mental health related. Some of them that can that can help their mental health is teaching them financial literacy. Right, right. They're not teaching that in their fucking high schools. No, there's no reason to. What do you well, actually, exactly? they started, right? The like grade 11 or grade 10, but I digress. Have they? Well, you guys are parents, so you guys are probably teaching your kids as it is to begin with, right? So you're probably teaching them what things cost and, and, and listen, what to save I, and what to spend. And, and I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you mentioned that because I, I want to I capture myself and say it's not all up to the education system to teach it. No, there right. is a big onus on, on parents, yep. but we've got another... Uh, a few other th- uh, realistic uh, things that are happening is that not all families or, or alarming amount of families have a single parent. So to put that all on a mother, 
on a single mother or a single father to start teaching one or two or three it's children. Difficult. It's a lot. And, and, and running Even a job and running a household. Co-parenting too, right? Like if you get the case where parents are split and they're trying to parent young kids in separate environments, like it's a lot of uh, complexities. So there. what's it's the number one? The what's your thought? I don't think I know there is a number one. Self-esteem is another one. You, you said financial. What do you say in that intro? Um, what am I going to... How do I put this without pissing anybody off? So it's not off? the job. I think we all agree <laughs> it's that not it's, the not job. The job. Yeah, it's not it's the job. Yeah, it's not the job. I think it is an issue. I'll say something that will probably it, piss it's, people it's off, an but issue it's an actual fact. You go last because it was your question. It's, I think there's a challenge now because if you want to break it into men and women, I think a lot of men are still expected to act a certain way, but not in the same breath. You know what I mean? Like the world has changed. There's dual income families. In a lot of cases, the man might be taking on more of the load financially with earning power and now trying to help out more at home. Like we went through it and COVID didn't help because uh, when COVID hit, unfortunately, my wife, she started a business. She had to sacrifice the business. So she stopped working and I, because I was making more money. So she stayed home with the kids and I started working. And, and I think that dynamic where the females, because of whatever patriarchy, if you want to talk about societal stuff, whatever, but like predominantly i would guess that female partners earn less i don't have numbers to back it up i'm just going by my experience in my so you're adding on all these layers and what it meant to be a man for the last 50 years has totally changed and now i think a lot of guys might be struggling to find what their new identity is in the new world i don't know mm. so what are your thoughts so core values core what do you mean core values just having people understand um uh, to describe and understand and own their core values, but understand what they mean. Yeah, not not try and fit in a label, right? Like just have your core, if family and your, your marriage is important to you, then just live that. If you want to love men or you want to love women, just do it. And hopefully it's in a place where you're free of judgment. You can just be whoever you want. But I think a lot of people are struggling with maybe their self-identity. I don't know. Maybe that's too wishy-washy of an answer. No, it's not. That's, it's right up What there. are your thoughts? Lay it on us. Let's no, no. So I just wanted to say that 75% of women leave relationships and or marriages because they're not happy with where their lives are going with the significant other, because which is closely connected to financial. So I think mm -hmm. that the fact of financial upkeep with the Joneses, so to speak, not realizing that Plenty of millionaires are not happy. Plenty mm -hmm. of people who make 60 grand a year are very happy. It's mindset at that point. But what's happening is that you're getting breakdowns of marriages or relationships because women, 75% of them, are deciding to leave because they're not happy where this is going. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the number is of how many men leave because this isn't going. Mm -hmm. They're providing and they're being there and they're trying their best. But 75%, so three quarters of the relationships and marriages out there are ending which I think starts the mental illness train. Right. Starts. So you think of his relationship issues? Uh, yeah. Is it right. his fault, her fault, their fault? Mm. That I don't know. Mm. But I'm just saying that three quarters of the women are leaving because they're not happy with where their marriage relationship is heading. Mm. Is it because they're not financially independent, keeping up with the Joneses? I don't know, but I'm just, I'm trying to figure out where this starts because I was never questioning anything in my 20s. Like I said earlier in the show, you're climbing, you're trying new ideas, yeah. you're discovering new opportunities, you're meeting people and you're excelling at whatever career option you're choosing at. At some point you keep on growing, 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 but at some point it plateaus and then it starts to descend. 
Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there's a possibility that this actually starts when, when we're in, I say we, when an individual is in school rather? Because if we're not teaching them life skills to prepare them for when they bust out of the gate and they start either working on their own or working as a trainer, whatever they decide. How many lessons did decide. you guys learn in school and how many lessons did you guys learn in life? I'll take life over school anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I realize Absolutely. that, but listen, there, there are a lot of life skills that could be taught in school, right? I'm, I have no hope for, like the executives, I have no hope for the educational system because the educational system should be removing that word educational. Hmm. It's a system. And it, it's a paid trem- system. And it's tremendously slow to adopt and adopt. Yeah, and so it's and like yeah. it, uh, you should be like uh, the amount of people I've spoken to, they're, they're deciding to homeschool. So they're changing their family values right. and how they're looking at I, things. And there's no, there's they're no going challenge. They're schools, but there's that no goes ch- back to financial. Right. There's yeah. no challenge to what you shared. I'm just saying, you know, based on what's happening, currently happening in society here in Canada today, is there a possibility that it starts way back as in school? Could be even in, in grade school. Because we're not teaching these children what they, what they actually need to prosper in life. They may bust out of the gate and do well at, at their career, their initial career, or if they're, if they're lucky enough to be an entrepreneur out of the gate, they might do well, like you said. You strive for a while, but once the tidal wave reaches you, it just sucks you back in. Right? What are the stats? I have no idea about this, but what are the stats of if you come from a divorced family, will you ever be married and or get divorced if you right. get married? I don't know what the stats uh, are. Gotta, I'm just assuming that if you come from a divorced family, yeah. odds are you have two options. You're never going to get married because you saw how it rolled out there. Mm-hmm. Or you will get married. And, and ultimately, listen, mm-hmm. I grew up with a bunch of friends. And I don't want to stereotype anything like that. But the Jamaicans were always like screwing around, fooling around, getting married and getting divorced. Mm-hmm. That's just how it was, right? And th- they would go into the relationship already explained to the person, this is not going to work out. Yeah. And it doesn't work out. So Why, it's just... Yeah, yeah. Some people, it's just normal to them, I guess. Like I'd have, uh, so there's a breakdown of that 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 it's, it's ex- couple unity. I thing. think it's expectations. It's like wherever you have unmet expectations, there's going to be frustrations, right? So if you're not on the same page with your partner about oh, and it sounds stupid to have this, but maybe they should have sat down and said, you know what, honey, in ten years, I want to have this size of house. I want to have these two cars. So there's an expectation there. And but then are you, you not the, a different person than you were 10 years ago? Yes, because things like change. That's why you got to check it every now and then. Yeah, you and always I'm, have to I'm not advocating it. for couples to sit down and do this. But one thing I do want to say in social media it does not help is if you're always looking for something more and better, you're never going to be happy. Never. If you measure your, <laughs> That's today's if you measure your success <laughs> by what your buddies are posting on Instagram, you're never going to be happy. But guess what? All that stuff is bullshit. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm bringing up all this stuff not to just pick fights or anything like that. I'm just trying to figure out where everybody is starting their mental issues, right? What, what's, what's destroying their lives? Mm. And then they, I go back to they create a grocery list of all the negative things in their lives. But listen, man, did you guys all not wake up this morning? Because somebody else didn't. Mm. You know what I mean? And somebody else could be tomorrow their last day. Mm-hmm. So start valuing what you do have going on. Mm-hmm. Your car breaks down or whatever. You have a car. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have a roof to sleep under. Like, like there's people are homeless. Like, yeah. I, I think it's perspective. So it's like, sure, you could be having a shitty fucking start of the year, end of last year or whatever. 
but you still have some goodness going on. So you're going through a separation. You're going through a divorce. You're traveling 200 kilometers to go see your kids. You're having to Skype and you're raising your kids off of fucking Zoom or something like that. You have kids. Other people are trying to do in vitro and they can't have a child. Mm -hmm. Like there's always a good to every fucking bad. There's a yin yang to everything. It's how you look at it. Yeah. Is that not the case? No, it's, you, but I think everybody focuses on the bad and it just starts this it, mental it's, it's issue different, train. It's different for everybody else. I think there's a danger in always trying to find a silver lining and discrediting the experiences you're going through. I'm not saying if, ignore yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you I don't have I know to embrace mean. it. But every, like you can't say, I'm experiencing mental health. I'm very depressed because my wife left me. But there's people getting bombed in Palestine, so it could be worse. Like... That stuff is bad, what's going on. I do not want to get into politics, but it doesn't discredit what you're going through and how you're reacting no, to the, it. Well, the, so it's important to acknowledge it. And to your point, even when you're in that state, try and find, because there's always good stuff, right? And, and the first example that came to my mind was my son now, so for whatever reason, he wakes up at 5.30 and he's in a crib. So he wakes up and he's like, he goes, daddy. And I'm like, fuck, he's awake. But then I'm like, <laughs> I get to hear his sweet little voice. And I'm the first person he wants to see in the morning. Yep. That might be a stupid little trivial example. No, but to good. me, that's, that's the shit I live for, man. Yep. Manny, I think what you said, look, the suckiness is real. Suffering's optional. Like, things suck. We get that. Mm. Suffering's optional. Pick two, one, one, two, three things that you're grateful for in the morning. It's super simple. Right, it can be super, super it, simple as hey, I took a hot shower because you know what, somebody somewhere else didn't. You, you know, it it is. There's no doubt that it's simple. However, in defense to those who do not know this, who have never applied it, it's not as simple as it sounds. That you need to be taught it, you need to be understood it, and you need oh, to yeah. embrace it, and you need to make it a way of life. Yep. Because so, or yeah. else, it's not going to work. Well, let's tie this back to the construction industry because we were kind of talking all over the place, which I love, but. So, yeah, a lot of issues, mental health issues, I agree, originate from outside of the workplace. But as employers, because if you work 40, 50 hours a week, you spend more time at work than you do at home, mm-hmm. your waking hours. So as an employer, I think you have a responsibility to equip your people with the tools to help them not only at work, but with their life. Like how to deal with this shit. Whether it, the stress originates at work or at home, it's going to help them be more productive. It's going to help them have a better quality of life overall. And to me, it's a no-brainer to invest in these uh, things. So if I could just keep going for one second, because you brought this up at the beginning. What are companies doing to support their people? What I've seen is EAP programs, right? Like employee assistance programs. Uh, What I see is for opioid uh, problems, there's naloxone kits are mandatory at sites now, okay? Which is great. That stuff will help. It'll save lives. It'll help you in a crisis. My question is, why are the tradespeople turning to those? That's where I'm going with it. Okay. So if you will allow me 30 more sure, seconds. Yeah, go ahead. No, no. Sure. Are we good for time? Yeah, we're good? we're good. Okay. So there's different types of interventions, right? There's primary, secondary, tertiary interventions. So, and it comes in order of like when you implement or how you implement the change, how you impact it. So tertiary would be ones like an EAP program or naloxone kits where you're like, something happened. This person's having a hard time. This is a resource to deal with it. Okay. Secondary uh, intervention would be, would help the employee modify how they react to a situation. You can't control what's going on, but you know what's going to happen. Here's how you deal with it. A primary intervention is how you basically like eliminate or reduce the issue in the first place. And it's similar to when you, when you uh, look at reducing physical hazards in construction. In a pop quiz, do you guys know the order to eliminate physical hazards in construction? Share them. Elimination. Oh, yeah. So you eliminate the thing, which a lot of times isn't 
isn't possible. Substitution, so you substitute a way of doing the work. Engineering controls, so like an engineered handrail, for example, on the edge of a building. Uh, administrative controls, like an SOP, a safe work procedure, safe operating procedure. And the last one is PPE. So like by providing the LOXO and an EAP program, it's a very reactive solution uh, to the problem. It's good, it's not bad, but you can be doing better. So what really I think would have the biggest impact is primary interventions, understanding, at least in construction, what are the major risk factors for creating mental illness and stress in the workplace. You're not going to get rid of it because construction is inherently stressful. Deadlines, money, shitty conditions, weather, you're never going to get rid of them all. So maybe that's not the best solution. Maybe it's knowing that your people are going to be exposed to this. How do you equip them with the stuff to cope properly? Take breaks, take mental break. When you hit a milestone, instead of saying, hey guys, here's a pizza, get back to work. Take a minute, take a day off, take two days off. Mentally recharge because it's draining when you hit it, when you go in towards substantial or occupancy or final completion. It's, it, it's a pressure cooker. I've said enough. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to piggyback on that. And as it relates to upper management, what I, what I feel they should be, at, we should be doing is also a mixture of things. Empathy, something that I feel that our industry does not have. Curiosity, also do not have. Shared purpose, which is something that resonates with our youth coming into our industry. We need to start paying attention to have shared purpose. The industry is in dire need of reestablishing and embracing its core values, of which I don't, I don't think anybody in our industry will be, would be able to, to name to me what our industry's core values are. We need to identify them, describe them, and live and, live and work by them. Again, not everybody's going to buy into this. It's all about s- separating ourselves and creating our own uh, ecosystem. We mentioned earlier, people first, having an open door policy and, and for managers to just ask questions rather than assume. Those are mm. other things that we could be doing as, as upper management. People first, then construction. <laughs> Jonathan Sinelli, everybody. Um, thank you. Thank you. you know, On that note, I'm joking, but why I'm doesn't everybody share their deets? Because we never even shared any deets, man. Yeah. So you, by all means, you guys want to share your details to, to everybody get the hold of you or reach out to you guys. Are we at the end? We're at the end. It's like a hundred and what? Five minutes? We're past. I think we should go farther. <laughs> um, I have one thing, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Five minutes? Go ahead. Okay. We could do another. So, we can do it at two, two o'clock. Okay. So as it relates to students, because we mentioned students earlier, 39% of high, high school students indicate a moderate to serious level of psychological dis- distress. So symptoms of anxiety and depression. A further 17% indicate a serious level of psychological distress. That's in 2018. So this stat is already five plus years old. So which means 50%, 56% of students so overall. That was the last generation that came out of high school. Right. But, but stick with me here. 56% of students in 2018 were suffering a varying degree of psychological dis- distress. Now, let's fast forward to September 24 when grade 11 students will be able to go straight into the, to the workforce and take on apprenticeship. These kids are 15 to 16 year olds. Year olds. And I know I'm probably going to be lambasted because I've spoken up on LinkedIn and it got shot down so many times, but I don't give a fuck anymore. They're too goddamn young. They don't have the life skills. We're not teaching them in school, first of all. And they just, they're just too fucking young. Mm. That's it. You can't send 15 or 16 year, old, uh, year olds to a construction site because whoever's good enough is going to work like an animal, right? They're not going to learn 
unless they don't have they have a good uh, um, mentor or coach next to them teaching them on what the, the proper ways of, of lifting heavy or, or setting themselves up properly, they're not going to get do it. They they're going to ruin themselves. Do they tell you what the extreme, like what are these things that they're going through? It, doesn't, it didn't say more than that. I just caught on to that, and it was a bone that I, that I wanted to pick because I just it, it's been celebrated online on the fact that uh, the previous minister of, of, uh, of labor uh, worked hard and put, and listen, he, they, uh, Monty, Monty McNaughton, right? Yeah. He did some great work, uh, but I don't believe this one was right. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I'd remove it if it were. Uh, if it well, were. he's the one that suggested that 15-year-olds should get into construction? Well, under his, under his portfolio as, as Minister of Labor, that's what was introduced. In high-rise construction? In high-rise construction, fuck no. In custom renovation that is a family-connected somehow project, fuck yeah, because there'll be more protection there on how to train the person not protection bubble wrap how to train the person properly high rise throwing a 15 year old on a high rise and teaching them their women's and all that shit that's fucking way that's, that's an accident way to happen to, to me it's construction is construction i'm not saying that it's not uh, that they're not unicorns out there like somebody who grew up on a farm been that's doing farming farm. right or grew up in a business of like grew up in the industry that's that's different and there might be the odd unicorn here and there that'll do well but mm. the vast majority, this is my personal opinion. I'm not trying to suck you guys into anything. My, my, the, my personal opinion is that the vast majority will ruin their fucking life if they get into construction. What are the at stressors that, age? that they're going to go through at that age uh, by the time they get to 25? If 56% of them are already stressing in fucking school, most and they likely haven't they're going to be smoking. They'll get into smoking weed. Mm-hmm. They'll probably try other things. Mm-hmm. Alcoholism will probably be there because they'll try <clears> to keep up with everybody else that's already in the workforce doing yeah. all that shit. So uh, seeing as though we talked about uh, what they could be turning to, here's a live stat, something that happened on the, on the this is the one that I was holding back from you. Mm-hmm. On uh, New Year's Eve, a buddy of mine in Ontario owns and operates a funeral home uh, in a community of 7,000. They were averaging pre-pandemic around 88 deaths. I'm sharing this data because I'm going to get kind of for what fun, period? Fun, in a in one year period, 88 deaths pre-pandemic. Now that's increased for whatever reasons. I'm going to stick to the one reason, which has been opioid deaths, and among those is fentanyl. Fentanyl is going crazy across Canada, not only in Ontario. So on a span of 36 hours, he picked up. 12 bodies, six of which were, were uh, fentanyl overdoses. One of them was a 19-year-old mm. who, for a photo op, just put the pipe to her mouth. And because it was still burning, she inhaled some of the, some of the smoke. She dropped dead like a bag of potatoes on the spot. That's scary. So if, if, uh, if one in three opioid deaths are, uh, that are happening in Ontario are, are related to construction I- individuals, that means that the sixth in, that, in this community, two of them were working in construction. I'm just trying to put... Did you guys just recently read about how Canada just made another list? What's that? We are the first country to have a regression in our life expectancy. Yep. We're it's down. all over the internet. We're down by two years now. Yeah, well, we're the first country that our life expectancy country, probably, yeah. has reduced by two years now. Hmm. So, I- is there a problem out there? There's a huge problem. Is, a is it being problem. talked about? No. 
But you're getting people, tradespeople and people in general, turning to these opiates because they're readily available. That's not the solution. We already know that this has been the problem with our government that's currently going on right now, so it's not helping the situation. But you want to get 15-year-olds onto a job site where they're going to be readily around that. That's a huge problem. Yeah. You're basically, you might as well get them to build caskets while they're at it. Yeah. That's... I think that's, that's an issue right too there. with uh, the age and the availability of information. Like I look at this with my kids, right? Some of my sons, he'll be turning 11. Some of his friends are getting phones. And I get there's parental controls, oh but wherever God. there's controls, there's way or ways around it. So they're going to go on Google. They're going to start Googling stuff that they shouldn't be exposed to as kids because your brain's still developing. You know what I mean? I think there is an age at which people need to wait to experience different things like social media, uh, porn, different stuff on the internet. You know what I mean? Like a 16, 15, 16 year old, should they have access to anything they want? Nope. Listen, and all of these problems and our government's doing nothing about it. However, there is good news. Federally, the men's washrooms are going to have tampons in every washroom moving forward. So at least that's being done and taken care of. Can I share one thought on what could be possible? I want to drop this and and let this sort of sit because we tie this back to um, mental health. And what could it look like for organizations out there to introduce mental therapy, behavioral coaching into their workforce as a routine maintenance program, no different than an oil change for a vehicle? How do we do this, folks? It's highly, it's, it's, it exists, it's possible. And for those who want to learn more, we can. We all, nine out of 10 organizations out there have uh, insurance policies right, health insurance policies, that when you dig into it, mental-emotional therapy is available. Mm-hmm. So what could it look like, all of this talk, what could it look like for the executives out there? You know, yes, we don't want to interrupt profits. I get all that. What could it look like if we said part of the routine protocol for being here is... I think it's going to be worse. Do you? Um, you guys correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but how often would a business that's building buildings submit a claim they would decide whether or not they should submit a claim because it's going to affect their premiums now you start getting this mental health aspect of it am i going to submit another claim am i going to submit another claim now premiums are going to start going up on insurance because of that as a business owner i wouldn't want that by by the way real quick if we're seeing as though we're on the topic of return on investment it's a 200% return on investment. At three years, a mental health strategy returns more than double every dollar invested. Okay, but to your point, how many premiums are already being painted and underutilized? Like massages, be a good stat to um, you know, natural path service, whatever else is on that policy that, other than the dentist, which I gotta assume is, is probably the most utilized one, how many underutilized pieces of that puzzle are not being tapped into? I don't know. I, talking like psycho, I'm, I'm talking, psychotherapy. I'm talking, and, uh, guys, yeah, psychotherapy. But even the massage therapy. Okay, if you're allowed, you know, I don't know, five massages a year. Are people actually using them? But they should be. Right? And because the organization is paying that premium regardless. I'm just, I'm just saying that if there's <laughs> right? an insurance to cover any mental health issues that are going on on a job site, I think there's a huge amount of room for abuse there. Perhaps. Huge amount of room. More than WSIB. Yeah. Right? WSIB doesn't pay out. They fight paying out. Mm. They're a program that's supposed to pay out. Mm. I'm not a fan of WSIB. I'm an advocate saying that every tradesperson that pays out to uh, WSIB 
should see a substantial refund when they retire. So they whatever amount of time service. you put in construction yeah. and whatever amount of money you put into WSIB, mm -hmm. you should see a 60%, 65% return of all that money to you when you retire. Oh, buddy, if that money's even there. <laughs> it's there. It's there on paper. Yeah. It's there as zeros and ones. It's there. Yeah, that's insurance. But it's so feeding it's, these uh, executives that are running these organizations. Yeah. But it's a billion-dollar fund. Mm. But that money should be returned to the tradesperson who beat their body, beat their mind, right. mm -hmm. and beat their family when they retire because they have to retire at some point mm. instead of just like you're on your own. Yeah, interesting thought. Oh, I think that's a good point, Jonathan. Like, and people might not even be uh, cognizant of the fact that they have these benefits too, right? Like, I know I, when I was younger, I never even looked at a benefits book, and I said, "What the hell's that?" My dentist is covered, great, but there's a lot in there that uh, might help out. Do you guys not, as you get older, do you not like okay? If there's a physical problem with you, get rid of the whole "you're a guy" thing and nothing's broken, and I'll fix it myself. I don't need to get to a doctor. Bullshit. Do you not look at the source of the problem? So if you've got an ache in a shoulder, an ache in a leg or something like that, do you not look at the source or do you just automatically go to the pharmaceutical tree and go, give me something to mask no, the pain? No, as you get older, yeah. you look for the source to solve it. That's why I kept on going back to where does the mental health do start you know, for no, the do you, do you actually... Because I think a lot of people resort to just popping pills. Because well, I to, fucking refuse. Because I've, I've not but, taken a pill but, in forever. And that might be I a problem. Last time I that might pill. be a problem with modern medicine. But there's always a pill that'll solve anything. Right. So when you Again, go to the doctor, a system. I look at a hospital as a system. Mm. But I think a lot of doctors, if you go in with shoulder pain, they might say, "Okay, yeah, you can well, do physio. A here's a here's a painkiller or a yeah. shot or something." Yeah. But that's not that's not solving the problem. No, it's not. See a physiotherapist. See what the pro how to or, or I don't. Yeah. I'm using physiotherapist. Go see somebody that's going to. That's say, what I'm talking about. Mental health is like everyone starts out. Everyone's fine. Everyone's a kid. There's a question on the show. Like, what do you miss from your childhood? The freedom, like just discovering mm. things, happiness, all this other shit. Mm. At some point in your career, <laughs> personal, professional, construction career, whatever, something changed. Something happened. What is it? Mm. Loss of life. Mm. awesome family member significant other left whatever yeah. like hurt physically what was it that started you yeah. you started doing weed you started doing opiates you started doing whatever i don't know what the so, fuck it is so how about we pop the question to the audience and say what are you struggling with what was the catalyst that made you turn to alcohol or drugs another question would be is what should we be doing more what are we not doing enough of for you and, and do you have any other recommendations that you feel you would need help with or that you would benefit from? I think the number one is going to be separation, which is driven by financial. Right. Because she expected her life to be at a different place and he's trying to provide. Well, I, you know I hope we that do? that's my opinion. You no, know, you know what we should do? We should have an initiative. We should start it. And I don't mind doing it. Like, we've got conversations going on with KMH now, and I was going to do a little plug for them at the end here. You going to share that KMH story? No, I, I don't know if we have time, but... Uh, yeah, do it, do it. <laughs> no. Go ahead, share it. Um, okay, fine, we'll share it. What time is it? What time we got there? Oh, it's 2 o'clock. Okay. Share it. No, we, but then okay, we'll so talk about getting John, them on. Jean-Luc and I, we've met up a couple times. We met on the internet, which sounds kind of weird, but uh, we have common beliefs and thoughts on the industry and we're on a common mission. So we just vibed. So we've met up a couple times and uh, I was off last week. So um, I said, okay, let's meet up. And uh, Jean-Luc says, okay, I have this place. And he sends me the place and he goes, um, it might be a little out there, but it's a Russian bathhouse. So I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, we've seen those things in the movies. 
But I was like, I always say yes to stuff because it's fun. You never know what you're going to get into. So we get in there and we're in the sauna and you do the cold plunge. It was co-ed. It ended up everything was cool. But so, and we were having this conversation. I was talking to John Luke and I said, we have to find a way to sell this to companies from a, a dollars and cents perspective. There has to be a cost to mental health in construction, like a silent cost. The lady sitting beside us goes, it's billions of dollars. And I say, okay, tell me more. And so she is the chief marketing officer of KMH. Okay, <laughs> really just chilling in the sauna. Yeah. And we're talking about mental. And she says, there's a lot of people who are very generous in the construction industry with donations to, uh, to KMH. I say, well, what do you guys do with the funds? So we started having this conversation. So I think there's a potential here to help people. Mm-hmm. If we pool resources or people watching or whatever, we put the feelers out, we get companies who are on board and we talk to KMH and say, what does it look like to do research specific to construction? Not just site mm-hmm. stuff, but like life holistically overall. What you work in construction, no, where does your stress we've come from? we that How it do doesn't you, happen on the job right, site. Right, but let's right? do some dedicated research to it because that ha- doesn't exist. There's a cost to that and peop- we need people to do it. Between the fucking 2 million people in, the, in, the Ontario, not Ontario, in Canada that work in construction... I'm sure we can get people. We can get the people. We can get sure, the money anonymous, to make this uh, happen and do a tailored, uh, deep dive into do some, doing some research. Am I crazy? No, no. no this is actually exciting, man. What, one of the things that I'd like to highlight is, you know, obviously, uh, I trust that there's going to be some uh, some interest from the the uh, the big boys out there. I'm not going to put any names to, to them, but but the bigger construction companies. I just want those that are in the small to medium enterprise to understand that you're equally as valuable, your, your, your workforce is equally as valuable, and I want you to step up to the plate because it may be that the pressures that that workforce within this SME, small to medium enterprise, are, are experiencing things that are different because we can't forget that the big boys have the EAP in place, right? So it may be that they're able to calm a bit of the storm, whereas the ones in the small to medium enterprise, not that, not that I'm saying it doesn't exist, but there's probably far less likely to have it in place. So mm-hmm. they're just, a, just as important. But I, mm-hmm. I love the idea. I'm on board. Whatever it takes. I want this conversation to, go, uh, to, to keep going. But I want results. I, I, I feel that in having gone down the rabbit hole of all of this data, my observation has been that a lot of the data is there when you just need to conglomerate it. So what I'd like to see is, you know, uh, a lot of these WSIB, CAMH come together at the same people and, and table and we start lofting this data together and start making sense of it and painting the picture. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. That's going to be challenging. <laughs> Do you think so? There, where, there, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Right. So just one more thing too on KMH because uh, it's worth plugging that. So yeah. C-A-M-H dot C-A, uh, check it out. You can donate whatever you can helps. They came up late list last year with the suicide crisis hotline. So 988, dial 988, 24-7. They'll put you in touch with a trained responder who or you can text to. 24 hours a day. And uh, they have trained people there if you're in a crisis, if you're thinking about taking your life or... Um, just not nine doing nine well. Eight? Nine eight eight. Oh, sorry, nine. Yeah, eight. yeah, no problem. And uh, and yeah, I think these conversations are great, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's action. What do we do with these conversations? What do we do with the information? That's what I'm excited to see. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Well, Thanks a lot, guys. Details? This is good. Details? Anybody want to share details? Everybody knows my details. Um, <laughs> well, you, everybody can find me on LinkedIn. Gianluca Pascale, I w- I'm sure it'll be posted on the show notes, and I'll also provide uh, the website to the Constructors Guild. That's it for me. Angelo, go ahead. 
Oh, um, Angelo on Instagram, Human Side of Construction, or AngeloSuntries.com. Just helping the construction industry and the great people in it. I don't know what that means. I'm trying to figure it out. But. And as always, Jonathan Sinelli, www.jonathansinelli.com. Easiest way to connect with me. Telephone number is 416-717-4139. Look forward to connecting. Thank you, Manny, for hosting Thank this. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the space. Thank you, guys, for being here. It's an honor and a pleasure. We'll do another Likewise, one. Thank you. But there's yeah. a lot more to talk about still. Oh, my gosh. There's yeah. always going to be a lot to talk about. So, Thank you, guys. Thanks, Angelina guys. Angelina Red here.